0: So, today we will do chapter 50th of the Guru Charitra. Guru Nath's blessing on the Nawab. The chapter illustrates the merit one earns by visiting holy places. The Nawab, who was the washerman in his previous life but born in the royal family in this life because of the blessing he had from Shri, Shri Vallab, gains the darshan of Sri Narsimha Saraswati and gets cured of the physical ailment and also attains spiritual liberation. Siddha Muni earlier told Namdharag the story of Rajak, the washerman devotee of Sripat Srivallava. The Rajak used to serve Sripat Srivallava with great love and devotion. Sripat Srivallava was very much pleased with his services and as a reward for the services he rendered, blessed him so that he would enjoy all regal pleasures and would be freed from his life of drudgery. Uh, already the Rajak was secretly longing in the heart of hearts for regal pleasures. Sripat Shrivalda, during divining the Rajak's thoughts, uttered his blessing and then Rajak said that he was too old already and any joys were worth enjoying only when one is very young. Therefore, he prayed that this fulfillment of the blessing of the Guru be deferred to the next birth. The Guru said, let it be so. The Rajak was born in the next birth as a Muslim Nawab's family in Vaiduri Nagar in Bidar when he became the ruler. He was very kind to all the subjects, treating the Hindus and the Muslims alike and all the subjects as his own children. He used to respect Brahmins very much. The Maulavis used to feel envious and jealous of this. They tried to turn him against the Hindus, but the king never heeded them. He was very spiritual minded and believed that all the religions, even Hinduism and Islam, but are but different parts of the same God. He firmly believed that all the Hindu gods are but different facets of the same Allah, and that the various idols and forms which Hindu worship are but an aid for purifying and to bring the mind to one-pointedness, which ultimately leads to experiencing and realization of the formless, the Nirankara. The concept of Allah in Islam. He was trying to establish harmony and cordiality in the relationship between the two religious communities. By and large, he was loved equally by both the communities amongst his subjects. The Nawab developed an ulcer in his body. He tried many Hakims and Vaidyas, but none could cure him. The pain and the irritation was acute and was becoming unbearable for him. He was advised that if he visited the Papa Vinashitirtha Tirtha and took bath in the holy waters, he might get cured. Further, he was told that a Mahapurusha darshan like that of Sri Saraswati, who resided at Gangapur, would certainly cure him of the ailment. Sri Narsima Saraswati foresaw that the Nawab was planning a visit to Gangapur for redress of his ailment. He envisaged also that hereafter before, besides the already heavy influx of Hindus and Muslims, people from other communities also would be pouring into Gangapur, with the result that the serene atmosphere of the place would be disturbed. He thought that it was time now for him to renounce the incarnated form and assume his invisible self. However, this would mean the influx of the people desiring to meet Guru Nath and seek the blessing for the mere fulfillment of their worldly desires or out of sheer curiosity would be arrested through the sincere devotees and earnest spiritual aspirants would still continue to come to Gangapur. The Nawab came with his retinue up to Papa Vinashini Tirtha and there he saw a Yogi coming towards him. The Nawab, after making his salutation to the Yogi, prayed him to keep help his ailment be cured. The Yogi told him the same what was advised to him earlier by the Brahmin beast. That with the mere darshan of the Mahab, Mahanubhav, already anything could be cured and even death would flee away from him. Indeed, such a Mahanubhav was Sri Narsimha Saraswati of Gangapur. The yogi told him that he should proceed to Gangapur and take the darshan of Guru Nanak. To implant faith and conviction of the Nawab about Sant Darshan, darshan prabha, that is the great benefit one earns by visiting a holy person. The yogi narrated the following anecdote. There used to be one Brahmin living in Avanti Nagar. The Brahmin took to licentious life. He started eating meat also. Besides being ad- addicted to women and wine, he took to a concubine named Pingala, but who was quite faithful to him. One day, a Muni named Rishabha happened to knock at Pingala's house, asking for bhiksha. Pingala received him with great respect. The Brahmin also joined her in honoring him. They both worshipped him with flowers, smeared his body and bathed his feet with perfume water. They sipped the Charantirth, and entertained him with the delicious food. They made him rest there. They massaged his feet and he was sound asleep and rest. They kept awake the whole night attending upon him. Next morning, the ascetic guest was very pleased, left after blessing them. After a time, both the Brahmin and Pranapinggara died. Because of the Muni's blessing, the Brahmin was born in a royal family in the next birth. His father's name was Vajrabahu, and the mother's name was Sumati. The king had many other wives but Sumati was a queen consort, Patrani. The king and the queen were very happy at the birth of the prince but the other wives of the king were very jealous of Sumati and they were all the more worried that thereafter because of his love for the child, all the king's attention would be centred on Sumati alone, exclusively, and that they would be totally neglected and would be relegated to the inferior status. They plotted to kill the queen and the child and then one day poisoned the food served for the queen and the child. The body of the queen and the child developed most unsightly lesions. They started oozing out pus from the lesions emitting foul odour. The wives tried their best to cure the lesions, but it was of no avail. The disease was programmed incurable. The king became very averse to the queen and the child. His other wives also weaned away in their favour. He came to a decision to get rid of the queen and the child. One day he called his charioteer and asked him that he should take the queen and the child into the recesses of the forest and leave them there as a prey to the wild animals. The charioteer took the queen and the child and left them in the forest. The queen and the child could not find anything to eat. They were very hungry. She was plaintively crying, praying to God that he should end their lives and they would not bear the misery any longer. Hearing the wailing, some cowherd boys came to her and asked her and the child to accompany them. They soon came to know that she was a queen. Although both of them were overtaken by a dreadful disease, they took them to the palace of the Vaishya king whose name was Padmakar and who was very kind-hearted. The king entrusted the mother and the child to the care of the maidservants asking them to look after the two well, very well. Although Sumati and her child were being looked after very well, the diseases were however becoming worse and worse. One day the son died and the mother was inconsolable. At this juncture Rishivamuni happened to come to that place. Hearing the wailing, he inquired as to what had happened. When he heard about the death of the prince, he would intuitively know who the child was he recognized that the boy in his previous life was the same brahmin who served him although for a day although for a day but yet served with great devotion towards he recognized the boy in his previous life was the same brahmin who served him though for a day but yet served with a great devotion together with pingala when he had visited the house of the latter accompanied by the king the muni approached the woman and tried to comfort her he said life is like a bubble which is transient away and would burst off any time he said as death could not be defied by anyone, he would have to reconcile ourselves to it and face it. But the woman was inconsolable, and she was preparing to kill herself. The Muni was moved with pity. He smeared the dead body of the child with the sacred ash, uttering some mantras and also put a little in its child's mouth. He gave the Vibhuti to Somati also and asked her to smear it all over the body. Lo! The child rose up from the sleep, his body shining golden bright and having no traces at all of the disease. Same was the case with the mother. The queen fell at the feet of the Muni and poured out tears of gratitude. The boy later came to be known as Bharda Uver, that is the one who has secured assured longevity. When he grew up, he became king and lived for a very long time, such is the power of the darshan of the great saint. After narrating at the above, the yogi told the Nawab that if they also sought the darshan of a saint and had the blessing, he would also certainly get rid of the disease. The yogi asked the nawab to go to Gangapur. The nawab came to Gangapur and started inquiring where he could meet Gurunath. He was told that Sri Narsimha Saraswati had gone to the Sangam. The, the, the nawab went to the Sangam. He saw Narsimha Saraswati there and paid his obeisance to him. Gurunath said, O oh Rajaka, don't you remember you were the washerman who used to worship me? Why have you taken so long to come to me? As Gurunath was talking thus, his whole previous life flashed in front of Nawab's memory. He fell at the feet of Gurunath with tears of devotion and gratitude welling up in the heart. All the devotion that he had used for Sripath's developed in the previous life surged forth again. The Nawab prayed that Gurunath should relieve him of his ailment. Gurunath told him, Show me where is your ulcer. And or, as the Nawab was trying to remove his coat and show him the ulcer low, there wasn't a trace of ulcer at all. The Nawab's joy knew no bounds. Further in the presence of Gurunath, he felt as much intense joy as doing does a long-lost son, long son on finding the mother again. The nawab prayed to Gurunath and that he should be visiting the kingdom and bless it. Gurunath said it was then getting late for the afternoon Anustan and that he had to rush to Papvinashini Tirtha immediately. He told him that he could come and meet him there later. Saying thus, Gurunath along with the retinue of disciples, disappeared appeared in a trice, reached Papvinashini, where he is 44 crores away from Gangapur. Some of the devotees, prominent among whom was Naganath, the son of Sayamdev, came for darshan there. They worshipped Gurunath and performed Samardhana. Gurunath at that time graced their houses and blessed all the family members. It was nearing afternoon time and Gurunath told them that the Nawab would be arriving now with all the royal retinue for his darshan. The Nawab and the retinue, hiding on their, riding on their horses, reached Papa Vinashini by the evening and heard Gurunath darshan. He fell at Gurunath's feet and again prayed that he should visit the kingdom. Gurunath visited Vidyur Nagar. He was accorded the grandest welcome. All streets and houses were decorated with festoons and flowers. The road was sprinkled with fragrant water mixed with musk and sandal. The queens received him doing aarti. The Brahmins sang Vedic hymns. Sri Narasimha Saraswati was made to sit on a specially decorated throne, bedecked with precious stones, garlands, etc. The Nawab himself was waiting upon him. Gurunath asked the king whether all his vasanas were fully satiated yet or not. The Nawab said that he had enough of them and what his heart yearned for, now was only doing service at the feet of the master. Guru Nath advised him that he should now leave the throne to his son and retire to Giri Parvata, the Sri Salaam, and take to a life of contemplation. He assured him that he would give him darshan there and grant him liberation. Saying thus to the Nawab, Guru Nath returned to Gangapur. The Nawab did as advised by Guru Nath. He took to intense meditation. He had the vision of Guru Nath and earned liberation. The freedom of the spirit, the true sovereignty. Thus ends the 50th chapter of Sri Guru Charitra. Glory to the all Merciful, omnipresent and the ever-responsive Guru Nath. So this chapter is talking only about how devotion to the Guru and how the Guru visits people's places. And if you visit the Guru also, how all the sins are washed off. And so that those problems which are there, they completely get go away. This is basically the Mahima of the darshan that is there. So, we, we shall do the chapter 51 Mahaprasthan. That is when, when the divine person goes away. In this chapter, the Mahaprasthan of Guru Nath is described. Guru Nath has dis- decided to withdraw his physical form. He sets out from Gangapur, leaving his Nirgun Padukas there after enshrining the presence the, and power in them. He leaves for the Holy Sri Saila Parvata with four of his disciples. From there he sets out to the flower float on the waters of the Patal Ganga to the eternal abode. He sends back a cluster of flowers as a token of the message and blessing to his disciples which comes floating against the current. The final measure of Guru Nath to Humanity is embodied in the nutshell in this chapter. He assures that through mere remembrance of him one can earn the grace. He also tells about the great merit which the Guru Charitra Parayan confers. O Narada, my true abode is where people sing my name with devotion." As we have seen in the previous chapter, Siddha Muni told Namdharak about the visit of Gurunath to Vidurinagar. At the pleading of Nawab, Siddha Yogi continues the narrative. Gurunath was accorded the most regal welcome by the Nawab and was received with overwhelming devotion by all the sections of people in the city. Following the visit, Gurunath's name and fame spread far and wide and many Muslim people also stared started pouring into Gangapur for Gurunath's darshan and for redressing their difficulties. With the constant influx, the serene atmosphere of Gangapur was getting disturbed. Gurunath had already been hinting to the devotees for some time that he would be leaving for the cuddly one, that is, banana grove at Sri Saila Parvata before long. One day, he called all the devotees and the people of Gangapur to the mud. He announced that he was bidding goodbye to Gangapur and setting out on the pilgrimage to Sri Salem. All started sobbing. What would be Gangapur without Gurunath? Gurunath was his sole life and life. Seeing how grief-stricken all were, Gurunath announced that although they would not be able to see his physical form at Gangapur, yet he would be abiding there forever in the invisible form. He would continue to answer all prayers and would continue to shower his grace on all the supplicants. He further said that whatever he be, wherever he be, he would continue to visit the Sangam in the morning every day for the bath. And by midday he would be visiting the Mat. mat Unfailingly, although he would not be visible to the human eyes. He assured them that he would be in the nirgun Padukas in the mud and they would be the reservoir and repository of all the spiritual powers and the worship offered to them would be reaching him only. He further said that worship offered to the Ashwata tree was worship into the Kalpavriksha. The Ashwata tree would fulfill all the desires of the supplicants. Comforting and assuring the people thus, he set out from Ganga. From He asked the disciples, except four of them, to go out on pilgrimage and assured that he would be ever with them. All the people of Gangapur were following him. Guru Nanak told them that they should return to their homes. He again assured them that his presence, he would continue to be felt in the mud by all the devotees, by the mere remembrance or recall of his name. The people had to retrace their steps with heavy heart homewards. They were feeling that their life breath had ebbed out of them. The void caused in their life by Guru Nath's leaving for Gangapur would never be fulfilled up and would remain so forever. Their hearts sank down in despair and gloom. As the mud, they were stopped, their feet refusing to move from there. Why not we all end our lives here? That was their thought of the moment. Lo, there was a flash of light in the mud. Guru Nath revealed himself before the eyes smiling and holding out his Abhay hasta. That is the raised palms indicating assurance and benediction. The people were enlivened. The gloom had melted away and faith enriched the omnipresence of Guru Nath. They slowly returned to their homes. Guru Nath, along with the four chosen disciples, reached the Kalli one in the bank of the Patal Ganga at the foot of the Sri Sala Parvata. Thereafter, Guru Nath asked his disciples to prepare a float with banana trunks and leaves. The food float was prepared. It was bedecked with flowers. Guru Nath asked them to place the float in the river. He stepped in the float and set, seated himself on it. The disciples offered obeisance and worship to him, while their heart was bursting out with grief at the impending separation of their beloved Lord. Guru Nanak cheered them up and told them, "My dear children, I am fully aware of the anguish in your heart and the thought that I am leaving you. But I assure you again, I shall with you be with you forever, and especially at Dangapur, I would be showering my full grace there on the supplicants who are sincere, earnest, earnest and faithful." only to make myself inaccessible to agnostics, atheists and the faithless. I am taking to this prasthan but even so every day I will be present at Amraja Sangam for my morning bath and will be visiting the Gangapur mud for receiving the bhiksha. Be sure about this and do not give place to any doubt. I will never be leaving Gangapur. I will be accepting all worship and they will be offered at the mud. Convey the following advice of mine which I am giving to you now to all. All pilgrims to Gangapur should first take their dip in the holy waters of the Bhima Amaraja Sangam. If they bathe in all the Ashtatirthas, their merit will, and even far more will be several folds. The Ashwattha tree which is near the Sangam is a, as holy as the Kalpavriksha itself. They should make Pradakshana around the Ashwattha tree. They should offer worship to the Nirgun Padukas at the mud. All three times of the day they should do the Aarti to the Padukas. Whoever offers worship to Chintamani Ganpati deity there will earn fulfilment of all the desires. Believe me, I will be residing in the house of every devotee, ever serving them and showering all grace unto them. I will be like the Kamdenu in the front yard of the house, like the Kalpavrishti in the backyard of the house and Lakshmi, Saraswati and Parvati residing inside the house. With mere remembrance of me, I will respond to everyone. Remember also how fond of music I am. Therefore, during the dev- Devata Archana time, during the worship time, you should invariably do bhajans. There is nothing like bhajan to bind me down in your homes and heart. In whatever house my name is chanted, there is no scope for poverty or disease to come anywhere near there. Poverty and diseases all quickly take to flight from there. The inmates of the house will be blessed with longevity. The house will be ever prosperous and aplenty. The house will be ever happy and joyous. With healthy and playful children and will never be in want of anything. Further, let me also tell you about the supreme merit one will earn by listening to or reading my charitra. That is the guru charitra. It will be the Panisha of all ill. In. in the Kali Yoga, it will be like the Kalpal Latika, the ever-wish-fulfilling celestial creeper. It will be like Chintamani, the celestial diamond, store of all prosperity. Now I bid you adieu, you stay back. I will be sending flowers as my prasad to you. No sooner have I reached the destination, the prasad will confer on you immense good. Saying thus, he disappeared out of the sight. It is Bahudanya year, Uttarana and Bahula Padhyani, Friday, the nakshatra was pushyami and especially an auspicious time with Brahaspati entering the Kanyarashi. Such was the time of the mahaprasthana of Gurunath. The disciples stayed there only unable to decide what to do and so to say immobilized. Their minds were blank. At that juncture, a boat came towards them. The boatman told them that they had a message for them from a Yatri sannyasi who gave this name as narsimha Saraswati. They said that they saw on the waters a Yati, a golden splendid body holding a danda and a kamal, kam, kam, kamandal and wearing golden padukas. He was speeding fast on the flower chariot. He told them that they should give the message to the disciples, tell them it is the ardent wish of the Gurus narsimha Saraswati, that they should soon get back to Gangapur, that he will be sending them Prasad pushp as the token of the blessing. No sooner did the boatman say thus than four big flowers of celestial beauty came there floating against the current. The boatman picked up the flowers and gave their disciples one flower each. The four disciples were Sayamdev, Kavishwar Narhari Kavi, and Siddha himself. Siddha Muni said to Namdharak, As you have been born in the line of Sayamdev, you have won the merit of listening to this glorious Guru Charitra. In narrating this to you, I feel greatly blessed by Gurunath and feel supremely happy. Thus ends the 51st chapter of Sri Guru Charitra. Glory to the All-Merciful, the Omnipresent and the Ever-Responsive Guru Nath. Now we come to the Epilogue. Listening to Siddha Muni's narrative, Namdarak was lost in ecstasy and was plunged in Nirvikalpa Samadhi. The super-conscious state, his body and breath became still and immobile, but his face was shining with new radiance and splendor, reflecting the inner state of bliss and beatitude. The bliss of yogic union with the Lord in his heart, namely the Guru Nanak. Siddha Muni was happily seeing the spiritually exalted state of nam Listening to Shravana of Guru Charitra and his absorption in it, it had elevated him into the realms of the divine consciousness, realizing the spirit into freedom from the bondage of ignorance and from the thraldom of the body. senses, mind and complex. That is, Siddha quietly touched him and brought him back to the normal consciousness, that is on the physical plane of consciousness. Namdarak fell at Dhamuni's feet, pouring out his gratitude to him for narrating the Guru Charitra which is obliterated and removed the ignorance and endowed him with a clear vision of the only truth and reality, that is Guru Nan, who is the divine self seated in the heart of all and in the entire creation. Namdarak was a blessed soul. We too should be able to attain the state of realization, provided we too, like Namdarak, shed our egos and surrender ourselves at the feet of the Guru and flood our hearts with devotion to him. The Guru Charitra the spiritual treasure box as bequeathed to us by Saraswati Gangadhar will come to our succor in the spiritual ascent as it did in the case of Namdhara. Let us take resort to it and constantly seek guidance from it. A quick resume. Before we uh, close the reading of the book presently with the salutations to Gurunath perhaps a brief view of the contents of this book much more so a deeper look into it so as to grasp the inner significance of the various anecdotes narrated in the chapters will not be without its reward and benefit to us the inner import of the various anecdotes narrate, narrated may not be competent and clear to us with just a single reading of the book hence let us have at least one more glimpse into it it is said that shamana Manana and dasana, that is, listening to, reading, dwelling upon it, has been listened to or read and contemplating on the truth is the whole process of spiritual sadhana. Thus, Adhyayana and doing vichara, that is, reading and re-reading, make doing vichara, means mental inquiry into these intellectual efforts to grasp and understand the inner truth, is necessary to derive the full benefit of any scripture. And this is what is expected to be done by us in the case of Guru Charitra too. Here we will analyze the broader features of the entire text. Guru Charitra is a sacred confluence of the Triveni Sangam of Karma, Bhakti and Jnana. We should bear in mind that the Guru Charitra, so to say, is a confluence of the three main parts of Sadhana, that is Karma, Bhakti and Jnana. And all these find a homogeneous integration in Guru Charitra. From the first to the 24th chapter, that is Namdharag setting out upon his spiritual quest, the three Vikrama Bharti and the Darshan, it is considered as Jnana Khand. The culmination or the fruition or the part of Jnana is when one is able to experience the self, the oneness in all. The three Vikrama Bharti gets a vision of Guru Nath in all, in everyone and everywhere. This indeed is the instance of the attainment of the state of Jnana. From the 25th chapter which describes the egoistic and the fame greedy pundits boastful challenge till the 37th chapter wherein is delineated in detail what is dharma and what is a dharma. It is called the karma kanda. Karma is indeed synonymous with dharma. From the 38th chapter wherein thousands of people are sumptuously failed in samadhana from a mere quantity of food cooked by the small measure full of rice by pure devotee till the maha prasthan chapter it is bhakti kanda. Karma, bhakti and jnana are equally important in spiritual evolution. Guru Charitra integrates and harmonizes them all. Karma is indeed necessary till one is able to get over his obsession with the body. One will have to weaken down the sway of the ego, make his heart more expansive with concern for others. One should get over the feeling, I am just this body. Karma will also purify us of the mala. If bhakti, once ego, gets sublimated, he feels he is, without, he is but a servant of God. His emotions, thoughts and love all get focused on God alone. He feels that he is nobody and that God is all. Bhakti also helps us to quell the weak shape, the agitation and the turbulence in our mind. In jnana one would have transcended all sentence of separateness. He will experience the essential oneness of unity and existence. He sees God in all and all in God and his divine encompasses all beings. He clearly experience is the divine principle linking together all the creation. He does not feel himself as a separate being and as apart from others. He feels he is a part and parcel of the divine whole. Jnana will dispel our ana and remove the veil of ignorance which derives us from our atmic vision and awareness. Thus karma, bhakti and jnana are all necessary to bring in total purification and regeneration of our mind in attaining of self-realization. Guru Charitra is the panischi of all the human ills. Guru Charitra is the panacea of all human ills of the body, mind and spirit. It provides succor to all, that is Artha, Arthatis, and Mumukshas and Jnanis. Many of the anecdotes of Guru Charitra vouchsafe this truth. His power in this respect is experienced even on this day. There is nothing which cannot be achieved through the surrender at the feet of the Guru. And with his grace, one's preordained destiny even can be overcome and circumvented. Law of faith outweighs and overrules the law of karma. At least it endures on us mental strength to bear through the vicissitudes of life with courage and equanimity. We will have to however leave things out to his will and seek from him what will only be ultimately good for us. Guru Charitra is a moral and spiritual course. Guru Charitra emphasizes first on ethical purity and excellence. One should adhere to dharma. When we have adhered to our dharma, then alone the harmony in the cosmos will sustain. Otherwise we will transfer the cosmos into chaos. The codes of conduct for men and women have been enunciated in detail in Guru Charitra. It enjoins on Brahmin as the spiritual custodians of the community. Extra responsibilities and rigorous discipline. They are expected to conduct themselves as examples and guides for all others. They should always be radiating purity and moral, ethical and spiritual excellence. Man is an imperfect and an erring being. Guru Charitra accepts this human weakness. But error is not to be perpetuated, nor can be let off unatoned un- for. It has to be corrected and atoned for. For this, in Guru Charitra, the sins which were prone to commit the retributive consequences thereof, unless we make atonement for them, are all listed. Sincere repentance, prayers, mantra chanting, rudra jab, surrender at the feet of the Guru, etc. are served to expiate all sins. Sincere prayer smashes down mountain loads of sin. We come across incidents of Brahma Rakshas in some of the chapters. Brahma rakshas are indeed none else but those who are ethically fallen and are praying for their sins through sufferings. That the Brahma rakshas doesn't mean some human being or something like that okay. So we have this uh, idea that he is a physical form. No he is not a physical physical form he is a spirit form and the spirit form experiences these kind of problems. Guru Charitra provides the corrective of the man to gain moral rectitude and at the same time to secure also a foothold and scaffolding on the spiritual asset. Behind all the anecdotes in all the chapters, throughout the text, there is a strong spiritual undercurrent flowing. The goal of human life is to attain union with Godhead that is, Antaryami, the indweller and the controller of our hearts. In Namdarak, we have the clearest example of how the mere listening of Guru Charitra can lead one to the blessed state of realization. Lessons of Wisdom from nature. It will be interest here to know that Lord Dattatreya says that we will have to learn initially the lessons of wisdom from nature herself who is the best teacher. He cites his own examples to illustrate this truth and tells us whom he had learned and what each of them teaches us. These are the 24 gurus of Dattatreya. Earth that is the symbol of forbearance or the Tiksha. The earth teaches us virtue of forbearance by its own supreme example it bears with unmatched and unexcelled patience all the injuries we inflict upon it. And furthermore, it does only good to always by providing crops, fruits, etc. It looks after our very sustenance in spite of our doing so much harm and injury to it. Water is called the symbol of purity. Water teaches us the quality of purity. Further, it cleanses and purifies whosoever and whatsoever comes into contact with it. Like water, we should ever be pure. Getting rid of lust, greed, anger, ego, jealousy, selfishness, unspiritual traits, demonic qualities should be endeavoured to exert a similar purifying influence on others too. So these are basically the second, first and second. Air. Air moves freely anywhere and everywhere. But it does not get attached to any place or object. We too should embody the virtue of non-attachment. So the first one is forbearance. Second one is purity. Third one is air which is non-attachment. Sky, a symbol of untarnished personality. The air, the clouds, the star, the moon, the sun, all have habitation in the sky. Yet the sky remains apart from them all. From this we learn that through the self, our true and the real personality and being looks to be in conjunction and mixed with our body-mind complex. It is in fact always apart and remains alone, untarnished and ever pure. We should not therefore get mixed up and bound by the upadhis that is the adjunct or the superimposition of our true self. The sky is invisible and there are so many stars and moon and sun and so many things. They are not tarnishing the sky. The sky cannot be tarnished, It cannot. something cannot be put on top, like one cloud will come. It can cover only for a few minutes after, but the sky is actually not covered. Fire, the symbol of spiritual wisdom. Fire teaches us that we should always remain bright and forever glow with knowledge and awareness of the self in our innate divine nature and potential. Moon, the symbol of intrinsic immutability, though appearing as constantly changing. The moon is ever full, but appears to be waxing and waning, due to the shadow of the earth falling upon it and eclipsing its full form. Likewise our Atma also, which in truth is ever the same and changeless appears to be indiscriminate to be changing and undergoing all sorts of modification which actually only the upadis that is the physical adjuncts the superimposition of the atma are undergoing but not the self the self can never be tarnished it is only that we believe you know that the self is getting tarnished but actually the body is going through the changes that is why we should always remember the body undergoes various changes but the self is never touched The sun, the symbol of oneself in all. The one sun which reflects in many pots of water appears many. So also the one Brahma appears manifold by the reflection in so many bodies and forms. Atma is always indeed only one. That is Ekatmata. Pair of pigeons, the perils of attachment. There were once a pigeon couple and their little one. One day the young one got caught in the net by a fowler. Due to attachment to the younger one, the mother pigeon also flew after them and got caught. Due to the attachment to the female pigeon, the male pigeon also flew in there and met with the same fate. Thus all of them fell a prey to the fowler. Attachment leads to one's own ruin. So any kind of attachment in this material world is very very harmful for the individual. Python is a symbol of contentment just as the python does not move about for its food but lies in one place only content with whatever it gets, is also wise should learn to be content with whatever providence provides for them for the spiritual people it is very important you know those who have gone on the path of spirituality and have left their house and so on and so forth you don't need to search for food anywhere you may go for the bhiksha but you will find that you will get sufficient food ocean the symbol of equanimity Hundreds of rivers will be flowing into it, but the ocean remains unmoved. Thus, whatever may come and happen in our life, we should always maintain our equipoise. Like the big oceans, we should never shake. Bees, the evil of avarice. Taking great pains, the bee collects and stores the honey. But alas, the honey gatherer comes and takes it all away. Similarly, man struggles all his life for amassing and holding the wealth. And then... Death which may knock him down any time deprives him of it all. What happens to his wealth? Other people come and take it away. It is exactly like this person who comes and takes the honey. Musk deer. So the snares of the senses are sound, touch, sight, taste and smell as illustrated in the following example L2P which is musk deer. So senses are also we should learn from them. What we should learn? Musk deer is always is a slave to his sense of sound that is ear. the hunter entices it away by playing music and it gets caught in the trap elephant is a slave to the sense of touch the male elephant driven by lust falls into the pit attached to the dummy female elephant put there in a trap by elephant catchers they put uh, the back rump of a female elephant and in front they have covered it with bamboos on top of it they have put some leaves so the elephant comes running looking at the back of this, the drawing of this elephant or something, and he falls into that pit. And that's how they catch him and cut off his tusks, and maybe kill him, I don't know. Moth. The moth is a slave to the sense of eyes. Attracted by the brilliance of fire, it flies into it and gets burned to death. Fish. The fish is a slave to the senses of tongue, that is taste coveting food it bites the bait and is caught and meets his end black bee is a slave to the smell nose Attracted by the fragrance of flower it hops from flower to flower and gets stuck in the petal and dies The earlier examples teach that if we yield ourselves to the lures of the senses, we will be doomed But if we restrain our senses, we will be saved We have seen that enslavement to one senses alone has caused us havoc in the above instances Man has five senses and if he pampers them what doom will be the meeting? The dancing girl Pingala The virtue of desirelessness One night, Pingala was tired looking for customers and she felt disappointed and worried but she thought, why not remain content with what I have? With that thought, instantly a sense of peace came over her. It is desire that brings and breeds worry. Contentment, desirelessness, and abandonment of hope always endows peace and true happiness. Contentment, you should be happy with what you have. The more you try to earn, the more you try to get, the more you want, the more, more and more things is going to cause a person a lot of worry. The raven, the evil of clinging to possessions. Once a raven picked a piece, uh, picked a piece of flesh, it was pursued and hunted by other birds. But when in desperation, she dropped the piece of flesh, all the chasing bird left her and she felt completely relieved and happy. In our possessions that we hug to, and in the cause of all our miseries so if we are you know very much possessive about our own possessions that could be the problem the child the virtue of prapti total reliance on god the suckling child is free from worries and is cheerful of the mother takes total care of him let us also leave ourselves through self surrender to the care of god like a child is completely surrendered to his mother we should also surrender to god the girl from the poor husband from the poor household the virtue of cultivating loneliness Once, suddenly a party visited the house of a poor man from the purpose of negotiating alliance with the daughter for their boy. It happened that the girl was alone at that time in the house, the parents having gone to another place in some work. The girl herself had to therefore prepare the food for the guests. She started pounding the rice grains and she had only glass bangles in the wrist. They were making much noise and she was doing the pounding. After that noise will only expose their poverty to the guests. She started removing the bangles one by one, but retaining just two in each wrist. But these two continued making some noise. Then she removed one more bangle from each wrist, leaving only one bangle in each wrist. Lo, there was no further noise. The spiritual aspirant, especially the ascetic, will have to learn to live alone in solitude, so as to avoid strife and discord with others. When we stay with other people, there is always going to be a discord, some sort of uncertainty in the relationship will always crop up. So those who stay alone, those who are on the path of spiritual, their spiritual growth will happen. The serpent, the virtue of unconcern, of self-possessions. The serpent does not build its own abode. It lives in the holes already built by other creatures. So also spiritual aspirants, especially ascetics, will have to spend their days in caves and in temples already existing, but should not try and waste their lives in building houses and homes. Those who build houses and homes, they have to pay for it. They have to pay the you know bills and so on and so forth and take care of it. Somebody can come and rob them of the house also, you know, they, these positions are very, very dangerous. So, those who stay in other people's houses, like a rented house or those who stay in uh, other people's houses, for them they do not have such kind of worry. They are not bothered about who is going to rob them of what. You understand? That is the meaning of it. The arrow maker, the virtue of one-pointedness. Once an arrow maker was absorbed in the work for sharpening and strengthening any arrow that he did not notice, even the king and his big retinue passing by. Later when the minister of the king came and asked him in which direction the king and the party went, he had to plead his ignorance. For achieving perfection in anything, one should have single-minded devotion in what one does. So when you have focus on one single item in your purview, within your purview, one one one-pointedness, then only you will be successful. If you are having, you know, multitasking and all that, then you are gone. Finished. No multitasking. What? The spider, our desire-infested mind alone, is the cause of our bondage. The spider pours out from his mouth long threads and labors to weave our webs, but unfortunately gets stuck in its own web. Likewise, man also builds in the desire of his own bondage and forfeits his freedom. This is what we have seen, you know. There are so many people who get trapped into so many things like marriage, children, house, cars, this, that. It is like one to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. It's like you are weaving your own web to get caught in it. The Bhingri, the Bhingri Brahmara that catches hold of a worm and throws it into the mudness. The worm is all the time worried that the beetle is going to come and sting it. Thus, his attention is all the time anxiously focused on the beetle, sitting outside and opening of the nest. When the mind does constantly focused on the form of brahmara, it soon gets metamorphosized into a brahmara, shedding out his early warm body. So as one thinks, so he becomes. If we constantly think of God, we too will become divine for sure. If we constantly think, I am going to fail, I am not going to do well, you know what is going to happen, isn't it? So you should always say, I am going to win. Everything will be fine, don't worry, you know, (laughs) so you will always win. So you should always say that you know, if we keep on constantly thinking of the divine Lord, we will also be divine ourselves. So this ends the entire Guru Charitra which we have finished today. So, if those who, those who can do a little, you know, maybe one agarbatti or some little sweet you can put in front of God, please do on Thursday in your own homes. Okay? And pray to Guru. Narsimha Saraswati and Datatraya and all those. Okay? So we have ended over here. So if you have any questions, you can ask me.